I see agencies trying to get customers without showing them what is possible for them. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we are sitting down with Jasmine Starr. Jasmine is a photographer and business strategist and someone that teaches people how to use social media to effectively build their brand, uh, land more clients, and just grow their business. So in this episode, we're talking about how Jasmine went from dropping out of law school to um, creating a successful photography business from the ground up and then transitioning into social media. Along the way, we're going to be diving deep into brand building and what it means and what it takes to build an effective brand online because a lot of people sort of go about it backwards um, as far as building brand, creating content, and Jasmine has a very effective strategy that she's going to lay out for you to allow you to create the most effective content that's really going to allow you to attract your ideal customers to you instead of you going out there and spamming them uh, with DMs on Instagram um, and just not getting the results that you want to get. So if you want those clients coming to you, sit back. Stay tuned and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Jasmine Starr. We are recording. All right, Jasmine, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited for this call. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here. So our listeners got to hear a bit about you and what you're currently up to in the intro to this episode. But for those of them that are not familiar with Jasmine Starr and uh, what you're currently doing right now, Give us a quick snapshot of where you are in time right now. Well, thank you. My name is Jasmine Starr, and I'm a photographer and business strategist from Newport Beach, California. And I am fortunate enough to work with my high school sweetheart, turned boyfriend, turned business partner. And together, we founded Social Curator, a monthly social media membership that empowers business owners to show up on social media every day to market their business and build their brand. Awesome. Well, I'm stoked to dive into that. Uh, But before we do, I want to sort of flash back in time to your early upbringing. So I want to talk like middle school, high school years. Um, What was Jasmine Starr up to? Were you getting involved in entrepreneurship at all? Or were you taking school seriously? What'd that look like? Oh, really? We're going to be there. We're going to go through like the awkward (laughs) years, the Jasmine Starr awkward years of all time. Oh, yeah. No, you know, I really do wish I had that like true entrepreneur story. Like, oh, I had 18 lemonade stands in one summer. And it was actually quite the opposite. I was extraordinarily uh, introverted. I was never the center of attention. I was never comfortable talking to people about anything I wanted to sell. Once our friends and I decided to have a garage sale. And then the first car that pulled up, I ran into the backyard because I was like, I don't want to be kidnapped and I don't want to talk to people. So uh, (laughs) I actually lived, uh, my parents are immigrants. And so I, we lived in like a really tough neighborhood. So, you know, we were always instructed, don't talk to strangers in cars. And here we were trying to have a yard sale. So not the smartest idea. Uh, I was, I, as a result of, um, you know, living in a rough and tumble neighborhood, my parents didn't send us to the local schools. I was homeschooled. And so I had my nose in a book a lot of the time throughout uh, junior high and high school. And I earned academic scholarships to college. And, you know, I never thought that entrepreneurship would be my journey because in my whole life, up until I was probably mid-20s, I didn't know a single person who had started a business. So it always seemed for people who had privilege, and I wasn't a part of that. And so, um, you know, I didn't start that way, but dang, I'm really happy that I ended up here. <laughs> so, so tell us about, like, what, what created that shift? Like, when did you first get exposed to, to the world of entrepreneurship, and when did that first, like, get on your radar, something that, that was possible for you? Um, it didn't actually start as entrepreneurship. It distinctly just started as like the permission to be creative. I ended up getting 
a business degree in undergrad and then I ended up going to law school where I ultimately dropped out because my mom had a relapse of brain cancer. Thankfully, she is much better, thank God. Uh, but at the time, we were planning her funeral and um, I realized she was 50 years old and I was 25 years old and I realized that life was really short and I was like, I don't want to die a lawyer. I, I don't want to be miserable. And so uh, my husband asked if I could do one thing for the rest of my life and be happy, what would it be? And I said, I, I really want to be a photographer. And he's like, okay, you don't own a camera. And I was like, I know if I did though, if I did, I really think we can make a go of this. And so I got a camera and I kind of just had my camera as a side hustle for almost two years and I saved and invested with what I could. And two years I turned it into what was thought was going to be like a full-time thing and then had to hustle another three years before anybody really knew who I was. And so that journey was exciting, but my entrepreneurship journey simply started as a creative experiment and permission. And once I realized that I could actually run a business being a creative, I realized that I had the chops to do things that were much bigger. Mm. So, so I got to ask, I mean, what drew you to photography having not owned a camera? Uh, well, I did. Okay. So throughout college, I had this small little like film camera okay. and I would just take it with me everywhere. But it was kind of, it was like, you know, I don't even know. It was probably a hundred, 200 bucks max, you know? So sure. it was just like the camera that you took everywhere. And I was taking pictures. And then in college I had this uh, sociology class that empowered us to tell stories through photographs. And at the end of the semester, uh, a student was picked to showcase their work. And I was that student. And it was just like all the photos taken for that project were on the streets and where I grew up and my mom's, uh, you know, journey with brain cancer and to have my photos printed in a dark room and then put up in a student show was just this transformative experience for me. And I was like, it was intoxicating, but I was like, Oh no, you can't do that. You're a first generation Latina. You're a first generation college student. That's not what you do. And so it was always that lingering dream. And I didn't touch my camera for so long. And then all of a sudden to say, this is what I want to do. It seemed like it came out of left field, but it was always, you know, always on third base. Huh. So when you, when you started, like when you realized that that was something you could do, what did, what did that look like? Like what were the steps you were taking? Like, did you, did you get a camera and start trying to like book gigs right away? Or like, what did that look like once you decided that? I love this question. Do you know that I've never been asked this? Like you're getting into the granular stuff that I really love. This is great because we're getting into like the nitty gritty of how it like and what it takes to start a business when you don't know what the heck you're doing. Yeah. And so I got a camera and um, I knew that I wanted to shoot people, but you know, everybody I asked to like shoot outside of my immediate friends and outside of my immediate family, like people were saying no, because I wasn't good. Like Apple, it was just like real talk. I was like, man, I'm pretty terrible. But in my mind, you know, I really want to do well. And this is like right when digital photography started taking off. And I literally just searched Google. Every question I had, it was Google. And this kind of predates YouTube. Like now YouTube is like, amazing like who needs yeah. a university when you have google yeah i mean and, and youtube at the time it was strongly google and then i just took my camera everywhere i went i literally was shooting everything and anything just to get more experience and then i googled how do i start a business and they're like you need a business license and i was like okay get a business license next get your business published in the local newspaper which is so ridiculous you know but i was like okay um and then from there, every single step was like my first year of business, I had to file taxes and, you know, luckily or not so luckily, I didn't make money my first year. So I didn't have to file, but I thought to myself, wow, this is a major lesson that when I start booking clients where I'm actually making a profit and instead of breaking even, cause I was buying a lot of equipment and gear like that. 
but like, I was like, Oh, I need to start charging sales tax lesson learned, you know? So it's like a lot of it was like school of hard knocks, but thankfully because I never bought things I couldn't pay for in cash. And because I was a saver and not trying to live like this flashy lifestyle of a really nice car. Like I drove a beater for like six years and, uh, lived in an apartment for a really long time, just saved what I could to go back in the business. And that had really some awesome long-term effects for financial stability. hundred percent. So how were you getting clients? I mean, it didn't seem like you came from a place where you were super well connected. So how were you finding people? Like you said, I mean, a lot of people were saying no at first. So how did you eventually find, find that client base? Oh, so rad. Let's walk through the first three clients. Because I always feel like your first three clients can be an absolute pivotal moment in your career because yeah. if you take care of them, they become evangelists for you. Mm. So at the time, you know, social media was not what it was today. And so it wasn't a big like interest of me to start off on that way. And so I started practicing and I started writing on a blog. So this is back in 2007 and I was just like, well, I have, I couldn't afford a website. So I was like, a blog will do. And I literally just started writing everything I was learning and who I was and randomly as people were searching for things that I was blogging about, they weren't searching for photography. They would just happen to one time I wrote about how I was in downtown Los Angeles with my husband. We went on a date at this Korean restaurant and one of the girls there had a really cool hairstyle. These are just things that I'm typing in my blog post and somebody had searched for Korean Hollywood hairstyle. And I had said that we were at this Korean restaurant in, you know, LA, Hollywood. I mentioned hairstyle and she stumbled across my blog, not knowing she was coming to a photographer's blog, but she started reading and she's like, huh, this girl was a photographer. She recommended me to one of her coworkers who was getting married. And then she reached out to me and I didn't have a website. So I burned images on a CD and I sent them to her, which is so ghetto fab, but you know, wow. you, you got to do, you got to do. Um, and then the second client that I got was actually a referral from some from another photographer who was booked and uh, really liked what I was saying and kind of like who I was. And then my third, um, my third, my third client was somebody, a sister of a girl who was reading my blog. And lucky for me, that wedding she had thirteen bridesmaids. And they started sharing. Now, this is so, so, so early when Facebook was just available to college students and yeah. I was just out of college. So they started posting their stuff like on MySpace and Facebook and 12 girls sharing photos during that time became an avalanche in my business. It was really amazing. Wow. So talk to me more about like what, what the purpose of the blog was. I know you said like you couldn't, you couldn't do the website. So that's, that's why you did that. But was it more of a creative outlet for you? Was it, was it, specifically used as marketing? Like, were you trying to use it to bring in clients or, or what was the purpose? So every, I love this question. Dang, you should kind of do this like legit Apple. You're great. You're great. Okay. So, um, what we were doing and I say it tongue in cheek, obviously you're killing the game. Okay. So you didn't want to make it otherwise. Okay. So, um, when I started the blog, I'm going to be a hundred with you. I started the blog and I told my husband and my business partner, I'm like, I'm doing this blog because I don't think that this business is going to take off. And when it fails, I'm going back to law school. So I was doing mm. it as a creative outlet and as a documentation so that I could say in the future, I could look back and say, see, you tried and it didn't work out for you. Mm. Like, oh, ye of little faith. You know, I went in yeah. being like, this is just an experiment. What I didn't understand then was that was the advent of digital marketing. And I didn't know that I was actually on that precipice, on that huge tidal wave. And I had no idea the power of SEO, specifically at the time when the market wasn't as saturated. So yeah. my blog 
um, like two, two and a half years blogging. My blog was getting like 25,000 unique visits a day. And so it became, yeah. And it's crazy because I, the thing was I was using my blog, sure, to showcase my photography, but I was really using my blog to build a personal brand. And everything I know about branding and why I'm so ardent and passionate about it is because I learned by doing, not by reading. I understood that the ability for me to build a brand, which I come years later to find out as defined by Seth Godin, is a brand is an experience. It's a decision why a consumer would choose one business over another based on a litany of reasons, stories, experience in word of mouth. And I realized that at the time, the blog was creating an unfair advantage toward me because people weren't looking at me and saying, I'm going to choose you amongst 10 or 10,000 photographers. I'm choosing you because I like you. And that was a game changer as a small business owner. Mm. 100%, 100%. Um, so once you started getting those initial like three clients, uh, what did the process look like of like scaling up to making that your full-time income? I mean, walk us through sort of what that looked like for you. Sure, Rad. So um, at the time, um, I really got into where I thought I would be able to monetize as quickly as possible because I was giving myself a year to experiment. And for me, the highest ticket items are going to be weddings, but I also knew that that market was extraordinarily saturated, extraordinarily competitive. And, you know, I had a camera and I rented everything else. So I wasn't in that position, but I said, that's where I need to go as quickly as possible. So I went in and positioned my business squarely as value driven. So in Southern California, like the lowest hanging fruit for wedding photographers were charging between 800 and a thousand dollars per wedding. I positioned my business as a thousand dollars. I included everything under the sun and that was how I decided to go in as undervalued. However, after I booked my first five weddings, I made the commitment to raise my prices $300 every three weddings. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I was transitioning my user base because oftentimes business owners will want to make these like really big financial changes. They'll go from 1000 to 2000 Well, you just cut all of your referral base. The fact that I was able to, to transition slowly my referral base was that like my first year, I ended up booking close to 40 weddings. And so by year two, instead of shooting for $1,000, I was shooting for $3,500 per wedding. And then the following year at 5,500. So, you know, towards the end of my photography career and the different iterations, we were averaging around 12 to $15,000 per wedding. And that was as a result of transitioning our clientele slowly over time. Hmm. So would you advise uh, listeners who are in the services industry to be continuously raising their prices? Um, no, I advise to listen to the market. The market will, the market will help determine your worth. Now, do I think that you should be charging more? Does your mama, does your friends, do you quite perhaps, but if the market's not going to pay for it, you only have two options. Listen to the market or change your service and offering and message to quantify being able to change your price. Hmm. So and it sounds like a lot of what you were doing was playing on value as well. Um, and positioning yourself, not just like based on like, here's the price, but like you were including like everything under the sun. Um, and really making that, that, the, the, the focal point of the sale initially. So in the beginning, and this is what I would encourage people to do for a while. I shot everything for free because I just needed to, to help empower people to talk about me as a photographer, not as a law school dropout. 
And so I did a ton of work for free. I volunteered for other photographers. I was building up my portfolio. And when I started, I squarely positioned my business as value driven. And then about a year and a half, because I had raised my prices considerably, I could no longer position myself as value. I had to position myself on brand and brand all day, every day will be the thing that will command the highest dollar that will empower people or make, create the desire for people to drive farther, wait in line, pay more, talk to their friends about it because it's built on brand instead of in a value exchange dollar for dollar. For sure. And I know a lot of what you talk about like now is, is based on branding. So talk to, talk to the young listener who's, who's maybe like 17, 18, 19 years old, who, who's got their, their services business. Maybe it's like a social media marketing company or something. They've got that on the side and they want to incorporate more, more branding into it. So it's not just selling the service, but it's selling themselves as well. Um, how, how would you advise them to start incorporating that if, if, previously, like they were just separate entities, like the person and the, and the company, like how, how do you start intermixing those? I love this question. And I love this example because I'm going to give two concrete things that people could start deploying today. So let's just say you're 19 years old, you're doing social media as a side hustle. And so far you've squarely positioned, say your Instagram account is being uber professional. You talk about, Oh, social media and the updates. It's like, that's great, but Mashable and entrepreneur and Forbes do the same thing. Boo boo. You're running against some pretty stiff competition. What I would do was I would cast it through the lens of your perspective on what is the update because it's not enough to say oh likes might be disappearing from instagram soon okay womp womp what does that mean for you and what does it mean for your clients the thing that people are investing in when it comes to a social media manager is not whether or not you're capable nobody doubts you're capable it's legitimately like a trained monkey can push posts on Instagram posts. What they're looking for is, can you synthesize? Can you capture my voice? Who are you? Do I trust you with my social platforms? Are you going to be a division of my business? How much do you want to grow? And the only way you will answer those questions is by you showing up and creating content that shows you doing the very things they want you to do on their accounts. If you have a very stagnant Instagram and you are not engaging, you're not responding, your stories are boring, nobody is talking back to you or participating in your polls, number one thing is start changing to put out content that will ultimately attract the customer that you want. Also, be really unafraid to show your face and who you are. So I know that the 19-year-old isn't like watching what real estate agents are doing, but I'm going to invite the 19-year-old to look at what real estate agents are doing. Because when people are making big life investments, they want to see who they're paying. They want to see, do I trust you? So humans and scientific studies have shown that people gauge other humans based on their eyes. If somebody looks at you on social and says, huh, I might be, you know, I might be 57 year old guy in Detroit and with this 19 year old kid, I'm not so sure. And they look at you and they're like, huh, I think I trust this kid. It becomes a very different game. So number one, put out the content that ultimately that will attract your dream customer. And number two, be unafraid to show up and be seen as a, as a validation tool for people to trust you without having to set up a discovery call or fill out a form on a um, website or send you a DM. You show up and you build trust far before they reach out to you and then you're closing deals faster than you can blink. Mm, I love that so much. So let's talk a little bit more about putting out content that attracts your ideal customer. Cause I, I really like that concept. Um, but I want to like drill down a bit more. So, um, can you, can you like flush that out a bit more for, for the listener? 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So just before this, just before this recording, I am, I had a conversation with an organization that's putting on an agency event. So if you're a social media manager right now and you have aspirations to create a social media digital marketing agency, the very thing that I told the whole premise of what I'm going to be speaking about at this event that people are paying thousands of dollars to go to, but because you're listening to Apple's podcast, you're getting for free. Boom. Value add. Uh, okay. So what we were really focusing on is I see agencies trying to get customers without showing them what is possible for them. And so it's like all of a sudden you're, you're saying, well, once I get the client brief, then I'll be able to deploy these strategies against that. But then what happens is if you aren't clear with your vision and your messaging, then you just become like a, tr a dancing monkey for what it is you want them to do. And you, it ends up leaving you vacuous and you just feel like, man, they're just telling me, like, I'm literally just a hired hand. You have to start putting on Instagram posts that like you think are really cool. Like do an Instagram live from your phone and then take it into iMovie, crop it down to 59 seconds, add, add GIFs, add text, test it on your grid, and then re-edit it to, from a live and edit it to be formatted for IGTV and see the differences between the two. And then if you said something interesting during that, do a pulled quote and a quote card on your Instagram account. All of what I just said right now costs you how much? Nothing. You don't need a fancy set of everything I just said was from your phone and it'll take you a little bit of time to go through and edit according to how you want people to see it. And then what you can do is crop it in a square, put it out on Facebook and test it against that. All you're doing is you're becoming so confident with your approach and your vision so that when people look at it, they say, huh. They know what they're doing. I trust them because if you're trying to say, no, you really need to trust me to do this, but you haven't shown that it works on your very own account. You're going to have a very hard time trying to get them to believe that you have the capacity to succeed. hundred percent. Now, once, once the listener is putting out this valuable content on their social platforms, how do they then find uh, their, their prospective clients to then like allow them the, the prospective clients to see what they're already doing and then start reaching out? Perfect. So they probably have experienced, if you were a big fan of hashtags, you're probably experiencing like a limited growth. And so the brief history on hashtags is when Instagram first introduced them, people were using up to 30 and it was a highly viable way to find people based on similar interests. However, now people have just been adding really popular hashtags and diluting their efficacy. And Instagram's kind of like, dude, if you hashtag social media manager and you're coming across like a puppy, we're doing it wrong. It's become less viable. So people are like, oh, hashtags are not being found. They don't work. No, they just don't work in the same way because the people ruined the game. So Instagram created the explore tab, which is how people are now finding a lot of content. So my advice isn't to use hashtags to be found. My advice now is use hashtags to find. So you need to put yourself in the shoes of your dream customer. So if you're 19 years old, you live in Los Angeles, you're a guy in like the street, the street shoe wear game. You're going to be following hundreds. You're going to be following Bobby hundreds. You're going to be going into um, gold gods. You're going to be going into those hashtags and people who you think are hustling, who are looking for a social media manager, you're going to like that. You're going to follow that account. You're going to like at least five photos. You're going to leave three meaningful comments. You're going to watch the stories. And if it's possible to send a DM that is thoughtful, that's what you're going to do. And you're going to do this 10 times over. And you're like, Jasmine, they're not responding. Then I'm going to say, good, do it a hundred times over. You're going to continue building out these long-term relationships to turn a follower into a client. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, oh, I, I love that so much because 
building that relationship is so important. And so many people are just like copy pasting the same message to a thousand people in DMs, wondering why it's not working. And it's That's the worst, yeah. right? <laughs> Get those all the time. And I'm like, can we be a little bit more creative guys? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like try a little bit, but yeah, like, like engaging with their stuff, figuring out what they're about, watching their story, like getting to know them and their brand a little bit before you reach out. That's, that's so key. And it's really going to set you apart from, from everyone else. Because if everyone's going left, like you got to go right because like that's, that's the path where you're going to get the different results. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so now talk to us about, about like the, the, the personal branding side of things. Cause that's a topic that a lot of listeners are, are always asking me about. Um, how, how would you advise a young listener to start building out their, um, their, their personal, uh, let's take Instagram, for example. Um, what are some, some things that they should be putting in place now? I mean, we talked about putting out content that's going to attract your ideal customer, but like, what are some other steps that they should be taking on their social platforms to, to make sure that they're really fully taking advantage of the platform? Well, I mean, I'm going to start granular. I'm going to start boring and I'm going to start sure. as all basic as get out. And that is show up every single day or, or if you're like, I can't, then you set a number that is just a little uncomfortable for you and deploy against that. So if you're like, Jasmine, it would be a lot for me to show up four times a week on Instagram, then it better be number four and you better build out a pattern because what you want your followers to do is understand your level of consistency because consistency beyond amazing content, beyond virality, beyond being witty, consistency is king and content is queen. You have to be able to put out stuff so people know you, like you, and trust you. And statistically speaking, 4% of your audience will see any given Instagram post. And if you want people to see, if you want more than 4% of your followers to see that post, well, then the 4% who are shown your content need to engage. The more that the 4% engage, the higher likelihood that it will be shown to 5%, 6%. This is what causes something to go viral, is that Instagram gives it a little bit of juice and says what happens. And it's, oh, this post by Apple seems like a lot of people are engaging with it. We should show it to more of his followers. And then more of his followers see, and they engage in the same in the same proportion, more people see it. So it is so important for us to, number one, show up and be consistent, create quality content. We've already discussed that. And to make sure that you don't have bots or ghost followers. I created a video about this a couple of weeks ago. And it's just like, what happens is if you're using hashtags, these fake accounts will follow you to ultimately spam you and sell you stuff in the DMs. But they also will leave comments in your account, you know, selling people like, diet pills and like guaranteed new followers or what have you. So what happens is if it becomes a follower and the algorithm decides to show your content to these bot followers who aren't engaging, it's going to impact, well, how your posts are seen because yeah. they're fake, they're not going to engage. So those three things, showing up consistently, creating valuable content that promotes engagement and also that you're cleaning out your list with regularity will really be a game changer. Hundred mm, percent. Now, uh, one thing that I'm very curious about as well, and this is something that I do struggle with um, quite a bit, especially recently, is like how do you balance like social media life with like real life and, and sort of like disconnecting? Like, do you have a process for like stepping back and, and taking some time for yourself here and there? Like, what is what does that balance look like for you? You know, if I was using Instagram from a personal perspective, then 
you know, the rules wouldn't be as sure. strict as they are, but I use Instagram for my business. And as a result of that, I have to realize that when I'm on Instagram, I'm wearing the marketer hat in my business. And when I'm doing other things, I'm wearing different hats in my business. So it would be not smart for me to wear a marketing hat for the majority of my day. So I know it sounds crazy, but I literally budget my time. And it's like, these 20 minutes, I get to do DMs. These 20 minutes, I'm responding to comments. And so I just came off another call before I had this recording and I had seven minutes and I was in Facebook responding to comments for seven minutes. It's like you squeeze it in where you can get it in, but it's budgeted every single day. Wow. Um, so how do you, because I, I do that as well, like the, the night before I structure out my entire next day, um, not quite down to the seven minutes, um, but how do you how do you decide basically what gets the cut of your time? Like, how do you prioritize what, what's going to get your, your attention, your focus, your energy? Um, things. So at the beginning, so every week on Sunday, I itemize the things that have to get done that week. Mm -hmm. And, um, oftentimes I'm doing like two to three big projects in a week, but not all on the same day. So, um, I look at the projects and I'm like, okay, what are the small pieces of this project? What days of the week will I accomplish the smaller pieces of this project? And then I look at the meetings that I have. And so I lay out the meetings because those are already set in stone. Mm -hmm. I lay out my projects in the smaller pieces and then I literally just put in the gaps. And I, it's gnarly and I don't recommend it if it doesn't come natural. It comes natural to me. I wake up every morning at 4.30 in the morning. It's uh -huh. literally what time my body wakes up. I start my day with prayer, meditation, I read. Five o'clock, I am already hitting the email game, laying out my day, and I work from 5 a.m. in the morning to about 6 p.m. And everything after that, like I get dinner with friends, family, my husband, and it's really being offline. That's really important to me. Hmm. So is that is that like just like turning your phone off for the night, or what is what does your process for going offline look like? Um, it's not turning my phone off. It's just understanding that like, Hey, I might have like 200 DMs sitting there and I'm not going to get to them and not to let it eat at me because I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And I just have to hope that the next day I catch up with them the best way I can. And so it's giving myself the permission to say, Hey, you're doing the best with what you have and it's not going to go away. You just have to continue showing up. Mm. That's, that's, that's key. That's critical. I'm going to have to start incorporating more of that into my own life as well. Jasmine, you've been dropping a ton of value so far, and I'm extremely, extremely grateful for that. Um, I have a few questions, though, that I like to ask all of my guests. So are you feeling ready for those? I, am, I was born ready. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So the first question is, what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? Um... Oh, I'm excited. Uh, podcast. Podcast get me excited. And I've been wanting to do a podcast for honestly a year and a half. And I just haven't given myself the permission to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting a podcast in October. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's super exciting. I'm, I'm going to have to stay tuned for that for sure. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Um, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well, either in your business, your lifestyle, both? Um, outside of waking up early, I definitely yeah. subscribe to that, but also, um, honesty above all, when people know that you care about them, you could say exactly what's on your mind because they know that you're not being a jerk, but, but you're expressing exactly what you need and when you need it. And that took me a really long time. Like for people who are listening, like you first set the framework that you care, like you care about your clients, you care about your customers, you care about a virtual assistant, or you care about the podcast host that you're on with when you care about them and they know it you can always speak your truth and they won't take it personally 
Mm. That's that's yeah. Just yeah, caring about people really, really does go a long way because people people notice that stuff. I mean, like you can tell, you can feel when you're having a conversation with someone and they really, really care about you and that conversation and they're being present. And I mean, it's night and day. I mean, I've I've done over like 200 interviews for this podcast, and like there's some people who I can tell they just like they didn't care, they weren't present, they didn't want to be here. And some people are just like very much the opposite. And you can tell like, wow, this person really is engaging. They want to be here, and they're 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 focused on providing a lot of value. So, oh my God, Apple, I better have been in that latter category. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. For sure, for sure. All right, Jasmine, you've been providing a ton of value. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Where can our listeners go if, if they've been enjoying this so far, if they want to follow up with you and learn more about what you're up to and all that good stuff? Well, I would be honored to make it easy. You can find me at jasminestar.com and on all social platforms at jasminestar. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to link up all those in the show notes as well for our listeners. Jasmine, do you have any last uh, parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to close out the show with here today? Yeah. You know, I believe that when I stand in my purpose, I empower other people to believe that the impossibility is an actual possibility for them. I thought it was impossible for me to be a photographer and I found a way to make it possible. I thought it was impossible for me to be a business strategist, that it was impossible for me to use social platforms. I thought it was impossible for me to be like a featured guest of an honored podcast like Apple's. And I believe that what we think is impossible is fully possible for us, for us who show up, who believe and find a way to always make it work. Mm. Words of wisdom, Jasmine, I'm extremely grateful for you. Thank you so much for sharing um, your knowledge and your wisdom on this podcast today. You're the best. Thank you, pal. Well, there we go. Another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. Glad you guys were here to spend it with us um, and really soak up as much value as possible from the guest of the day. Now, if you guys haven't already left us a review on iTunes, I know I say it at the end of every single episode, but I really do love those reviews. We've got nearly 200 at this point, which is absolutely amazing. It's crazy to see that we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people with the podcast and that some of you guys have actually chosen to go out of your way, take five seconds and write us a review. It means the absolute world to me. And again, if you guys don't know where to find the review section, because a lot of you guys hit me up and you're like, I want to write your review. I, I love Young Smart Money so much, but I don't know where to write the review. You just scroll all the way down. You go to Young Smart Money, you scroll all the way down past all the episodes, past nearly 200 episodes, and you find the write a review section. You leave me all of your thoughts, all of your genuine, heartfelt comments about the show. I read them all. I digest them all. They get me going every single day. So I really appreciate that. And the last thing that I want to say to you guys before we wrap up here is I want you guys to take action. Okay. You just spent nearly an hour, maybe more than an hour consuming this content. And I want you guys to take action. Okay. I really encourage you to, while you're going through the show, be mindful, take notes, really soak in the information. Don't just be there and let the information flow through you. Like let it soak in to who you are and really, really find something, find one thing that you can take away from this episode that you can go out there and actually apply right now in your day today. Okay. I want you guys to stop listening for po- to podcasts for the next little bit here, um, maybe the next 15 minutes and just think about how you can start to take action. Okay. Think about one thing that somebody said in this podcast today that you can apply to your own life and go out there and implement it. Okay. And then let me know how it went. Cause guys, I see so many people just listening to content, soaking up content all day long, but they never do anything with it. Okay. So I want you guys, I don't want that to be you. I want you to be the person who actually takes action. So go out there, take some action. Let me know how it goes. And I will see you in the next episode.